Today's show is brought to you by the best-selling book, The Dog Cancer Survival Guide, full-spectrum treatments to optimize your dog's life quality and longevity. It's available everywhere books are sold, in both paperback and digital editions, and on the publisher's website at dogcancerbook.com. Use coupon code PODCAST on that website to get 10% off the Dog Cancer Survival Guide today. You'll see that a lot of those things I mark as low-priority supplement. It's not that they're, like, evil, and it's not that they're going to hurt the dog. It's just that the weight of evidence is weak. Or that there's merit in a test tube or a Petri dish, but we don't have evidence yet in laboratory animals or in living bodies. Welcome to Dog Cancer Answers, where we help you help your dog with cancer. Here's your host, James Jacobson. Hello, friend. Thanks for joining us today. Today's episode is all about supplements that may help your dog fight cancer. It's a long show, but it is packed with lots of information on both the good and the bad of the seemingly endless selection of supplements that you see in stores and online. And joining us once again is Dr. Damien Dressler, the veterinarian known as the dog cancer vet. Dr. Dressler attended Cornell University, and he is the author of the book, The Dog Cancer Survival Guide. It's good to see you again, Dr. Dressler. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Let's talk about the supplement hierarchy, as it's called in the Dog Cancer Survival Guide. What are the supplements you recommend and why do you recommend them? Well, there's going to be some variation and every dog is different. And the reason why is because you've got different mechanisms of cancer and you've got different responses in the body to that cancer. And so to be honest, a cookie cutter approach, I would say, would be a little bit inappropriate. But nonetheless, when there are certain parameters that are met, you can more or less create a cookie cutter approach. And how do you do that? You look at the common hallmarks of cancer. And so we say, well, okay, what do all cancer cells have in common? Or we'll say like the vast majority, 90 something percent of all cancer cells have in common or cancer patients. Well, for example, cancer cells all lack program cell suicide called apoptosis. So that's normal cell death. And I wrote about that a lot in the Dog Cancer Survival Guide and wrote about it a lot on the blog. Normal cells, when it's time for them to exit, when they're old, when they're aged, when they've got oxidant injury, they undergo a very quiet cell suicide process. And that process is called apoptosis. Now that's a normal cell. And the reason why you want that because you want your old cells to go away because they're creating a burden, an energetic burden on the body. They're producing toxic metabolites. They're just not good for you. It's like having rotten material in your body, so you need to get rid of it. So apoptosis is the process by which that occurs, and that paves the way for a recycling of the cell constituents. That means they're all broken up into their little building blocks, and the old cells are regenerated into new cells. And that's why apoptosis matters. And that's a normal process. And it happens in the body all over the place, many thousands of times a day. And we get to replenish our body in that way. Okay. Now, cancer cells, on the other hand, 
do not experience apoptosis. They uniformly lack apoptosis. It's one of the primary hallmarks of cancer. So what happens when you are a cell that's loaded with toxic free radicals, that's dividing at uncontrollable rates, that has a whole variety of cell mutations in it that create the cell to behave aberrantly, abnormally, and the cell never dies. It keeps going and going and going. That's called cancer. So a lack of normal cell death in a rapidly dividing cell is a cancerous cell. So how do we cope with this? Well, that was why I had developed ApoCaps. And ApoCaps is a supplement that I will use in 99% of my own cancer patients. And the reason for that is because it helps to promote the normal health-giving process of apoptosis to help to encourage normal levels of apoptosis in the body. And what does that mean? That means that we get benefit when there is an apoptosis problem. Since we're supporting normal levels of apoptosis and bodies that lack normal levels of apoptosis are not doing well, we do good things. Now, Is this the same thing as doing a chemotherapy drug or something like that? Is this a pharmaceutical that is labeled to work against cancer? No, it's not a chemotherapy drug. But apoptosis can be used alongside chemotherapy drugs. And the main reason why I like to do that is because the constituents in apocaps are chemosensitizers. And chemosensitizers are things that sensitize cancer cells to the effects of chemotherapy. So when I was first putting it together, the reason why I paid a lot of attention to that was because I needed the supplement to work in concert with the conventional care steps. So if somebody wanted to have chemotherapy treatment on their dog, well, apocaps would be just fine to use alongside chemotherapy. And as a matter of fact, we got a big grant to study that because there's a lot of merit in that. And so if we're using a chemosensitizer in a dog that's getting chemotherapy, well, then that means that the chemotherapy will be potentiated or at least supported. It doesn't happen every single time, but it's a good thing to do. And the same thing with radiation. There's compatibility there. The constituents in apocaps are also radiosensitizers. That means that they sort of soften up the cancer cells to the effects of therapeutic radiation. So again, consistency with common treatments, with the conventional care types of approaches. So that's why I designed ApoCaps, and I guess that's why it's kind of like first on my list, and I have a lot to say about it. So lack of apoptosis is something that is universal or almost universal in all cancers, and that is why you use ApoCaps to address that? That's right. And you like ApoCaps because it works with chemotherapy and traditional treatments, Or if you aren't using one of those standard of care treatments, it can also be used on its own, right? Yeah, it's not that you absolutely need to be taking chemotherapy or having radiation or something like that. As a matter of fact, to be honest, the majority of my patients don't have traditional chemotherapy, I would say. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But anyway, so I use ApoCaps in those patients alongside a lot of other things that we'll get into here in a minute to help to support normal apoptosis levels, because that's one of the fundamental hallmarks of cancer is they lack normal apoptosis. There are some other fundamental hallmarks of cancer as well. What is another hallmark of cancer? Apoptosis is one, but what's another? 
One of them would be immune compromise. Well, the immune system is a big deal. Mm. Cancer cells, when there's enough of them, will create immune suppression. The mechanism is complicated, but the short story is the immune system doesn't work as well. And so we get secondary infections, particularly in advanced cancer cases. You get pneumonias, you get dermatitis, you get eye infections, you get bladder infections, all these different infections. And what's odd about cancer is a lot of times it's not the cancer cells themselves that create the death of the body, but it's when the rest of the body's not working right. And so you see this a lot of times in really old patients. So anyway, the immune system is a really common area that I'd like to support. Because the immune system is compromised. So other problems come up that aren't cancer. The other piece there with the immune compromise is we need a healthy immune system to help to combat the cancer cells. Now, cancer cells themselves tend to avoid immune surveillance, so it gets a little bit complicated. That's actually cancer vaccines, which is a very interesting new subject. But how do we activate the immune system such that they identify the cancer cells without just sort of being elevated generally in terms of their overall activity? But the bottom line is increasing our immune support is an important part of therapy and something very central. And I do that in a couple of different ways in my patients. I'm a big fan of the beta-glucans, which are the medicinal mushrooms. And those are going to be things like shiitake and maitake and turkey tail and reishi and cordyceps and things like that. And so these are usually Asian funguses, and they've got a cell wall in them, a part of the cell wall of the fungus that basically activates white blood cell activity, which is a great thing to have. And uh, I'll usually combine it with transfer factor. Transfer factor are little itty-bitty proteins that are actually taken from colostrum, which is the first milk that a baby drinks. And so what's neat about that is when you're a youngster and you drink that first milk, it's very rich in antibodies, and your GI tract will let it into your blood without digesting those antibody proteins. And so that's how you get your first hit of protection is through colostrum. Anyway, colostrum has in it this stuff called transfer factor. And what transfer factor does is it helps the beta-glucans in the, in the medicinal mushrooms to stick to the white blood cell. So it's sort of like a glue type of effect, and that will amplify the immune support effect. So I'll usually combine those two things. Another good one that is also discussed in the guide and that I'll also use really frequently is uh, modified citrus pectin. And what's that? Does it come from oranges or, or citrus or what? Well, it's in a lot of things, but one of the richest sources is the citrus rind, actually. And it does a lot of the same things that, in a way, that the beta-glucans do. But so pectin, we see it commonly in baked goods. Well, they put sugar in it, so it's usually clear and sweet, this jelly-like material on the top of fruit tarts that you may have seen. Anyway, so it's an edible thing, and it's used for, as a thickening agent mm. in baking. So you can modify it through heat in such a way that it gets brought into your bloodstream in a more intact fashion. So that's what modified means. And it's neat because what it does is it, it allows a blockade of the outside of the cancer cells such that they can't walk around in the body modified citrus pectin sticks to are these little sort of suction cups on the outside of cancer cells that allow the cancer cells to adhere to these filaments in the body that provide your matrix. So this is sort of like you could think of like a sea sponge or something. There's a matrix in that, like a sponge is a matrix or a loofah. Anybody seen one of those loofah sponges before? Sure. So loofah is like from a big squash. You, so you see a big squash and it looks like a, an oblong, you know, of a squash, right? So a loofah is the internal skeleton of one of those squashes. So 
bodies and organs have that. Like it doesn't just have to be a loofah. Like we all have that. We have bones, but then we have like this more spider webby part of us and dogs and everybody has it. That's kind of like a, a little skeleton thing, but it's flexible and transparent and it moves. So, but it does the same thing. It's a, it's a structural support. It looks a little bit like spider web actually in three dimensions or cobwebs, I guess you could say. So cancer cells walk up and down this stuff and that's called local invasion. So cancer cells spread by two ways. One is local invasion. So, so they migrate along these sort of filaments Mm -hmm. and then there's metastasis, which is they take off and they jump through into the blood and then they set up shop elsewhere after they reattach downstream. Anyway, so the attachment piece why modified citrus pectin is so interesting is that it helps to to quench local invasion. And actually, interestingly, also a distant metastasis. So it's an anti-spreading type of a molecule, which is nice. But it also, because we brought this up under the heading of immune support, mm-hmm. it's also immune supportive as well. So it has both of these effects. And that's something that's kind of weird. It's like when you look at natural compounds, they have all kinds of effects. It's not just one thing. It's not like, oh, antibiotic. It's like one thing. Natural compounds are not like that. They have like three, four, five, six, seven, eight different things that they do. It's a way more complicated, and it's really different from a lot of man-made types of drugs that, as it turns out, do have multiple effects. But in terms of desired effect, it's usually just one or two or something like that. So we use dietary apoptogens, apocaps, to address one hallmark of cancer, which is the lack of apoptosis. And we address another hallmark of cancer, immune suppression, with supplements like beta-glucans from medicinal mushrooms and transfer factor and modified citrus pectin. What else? So cancer cells also are pro-inflammatory. So what does that mean? So inflammation is a body state that, when it's at low levels, is healthy. So when you get scraped, you, you fall and you scrape your knee there's an inflammatory response. And so why is that good? Well, it brings in the white blood cells to clean up the bacteria and remove the debris. It gets red. Well, the redness is, hey, that's new blood coming in. That's new blood vessels coming in. So that provides healing. So inflammation in moderate amounts is good. That's why it's there. But when we have excessive inflammation over particularly long periods of time, that's bad. And that actually sets the stage for probably all of the so-called diseases of civilization, including cancer. You're not supposed to have sustained inflammation. You're supposed to have brief periods of inflammation. So if you get cut, you can heal from your cut. If you get stung by a bee, your body can address that toxin. If you get injured in some way, scraped up, anyway, you get the idea. Mm -hmm. You break your bone, it gets inflamed. Transient, long-term inflammation, very bad not good for the body at all. So cancer cells create inflammatory responses over prolonged periods of time. That's what makes it bad. One of the things that makes cancer bad. Why is that? Well, when you have long periods of inflammation, your body does poorly in a whole variety of different ways. It affects your your mental state. We become more depressed. It affects our blood vessel health. It affects, again, our immune response. It affects our neurotransmitters. It affects our metabolism, how we metabolize our fuels and skews that into unhealthy directions. There's a lot of bad things. And on top of it, what we get is inflammation accentuates cancer cell growth. So it's a forward cycle. 
So you get cancers producing inflammation. The inflammation stimulates and supports cancer cell growth. So we want to make long-standing inflammation reduced. We want that to go away. And how do you do it? Well, it just so happens that a lot of the constituents in apocaps also are anti-inflammatories, which brings up a good point. And that is that if you're using full-strength anti-inflammatories in your dog, like full-strength prednisone as an example, prednisone would be one, which is a cortisone drug, or the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, which would be things like carprofen or rimadyl, which would be Deramax, those are really common, which would be meloxicam, which is what's in Medicam. These are anti-inflammatory drugs. So, the anti-inflammatory effect in apocaps is beneficial when it comes to the hallmarks of cancer that we're talking about in the supplement hierarchy. But as a veterinarian, and by the way, as a guardian, you ought to also be aware that since apocaps has anti-inflammatory effects, we want to decrease the doses if we're also using pharmaceutical anti-inflammatories. And that can be done by decreasing the dose of the pharmaceutical or by decreasing the dose of apocaps. And there's more about that on apocaps.com. And if your veterinarian isn't aware of this type of thing, you should direct them to apocaps.com. And there's a veterinary portal in there. And we talk about this like, okay, well, what do you do? Well, it's pretty basic. You just drop your dose by 50%. And that's how you take care of it so that you don't have the apocaps anti-inflammatory effect plus the other anti-inflammatory effect. Because basically, sometimes it's just too hard in the belly. Some dogs just don't do well. It's like taking a bunch of aspirin, and then you're taking some Tylenol, and then you're taking some Aleve, and before you know it, you've got a bad belly. So there are going to be some cases where, say, we're using too much pharmaceutical anti-inflammatory, we're using too much apocaps, or the dog's getting problems with liver and stuff like that. And so we're saying, okay, well, what else can we do that decreases inflammation? Well, as it turns out, you can. And how do you do that? You use uh, homeopathy or homotoxicology, which is combination homeopathy. So homeopathic is very interesting, and there's merit to it. And by the way, there's more research on this, and people are just starting to get to know about this, which is that when you're putting something in the body at a low dose, it can have certain effects that disappear when you increase the dose, and those effects can be beneficial. In case our listeners aren't familiar with it, what exactly is homeopathy? Do you use it? So homeopathy is just using very, 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 very small trace and micro amounts of a constituent in order to entrain the body's response to the constituent in a desirable direction. So it's almost kind of vaguely like vaccine. And if we have time, actually, we'll talk a little bit about low-dose naltrexone, um, which is something that I've been using more recently here, which is very interesting, and I've been seeing some success with it. But to make a long story short, a homeopathic strategy is similar to kind of a low-strength vaccination in that we what we try to do is we try to increase the body's natural or inherent responses to an agent in the direction that is desirable to combat whatever we have in mind that we're treating. Mm -hmm. So we have combination homeopathics too, and that's called homotoxicology. That's kind of a newer thing, and I really like homotoxicology. One of the problems I have with homeopathics, many times when people call me, like they want to do a consult or something, people are out of options, so they call me. They're like, all right, well, can you fix it? Because nothing else is working. And it's like, so by the time people come to me, it's like late in the game, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm supposed to bail these dogs out, and they're they just don't have much time, and it's difficult. So if I were to use straight-up homeopathy as an anti-inflammatory strategy or any other strategy, one of the downsides is you have to wait. you got to wait three weeks for it, and it's like by then the dog might be gone. Mm-hmm. You know, 
And so the reason why I like homotoxicology, which is combination homeopathics, multiple different homeopathic agents in a single treatment or a single remedy, is because the delay is much less. You'll see effects usually within four or five days. So is that basically combining different homeopathics together? Mm -hmm. Yeah. To increase the speed that you see results? Yeah, it's a, and, and also the mechanistic coverage is more. So you do more. Mm -hmm. It's a lot like, it's interesting because I hadn't thought about this until just now. So the Chinese therapies are just like that. Mm -hmm. So you look at a Chinese therapy and there's like 10 or 15 different things and they're all in a foreign language. I'm totally out of my depth with it. Chinese. Chinese to me. <laughs> but homotoxicology is the same basic thing using homeopathics. So back to the inflammation thing. So there used to be something called tremil, uh, which was um, is Eastern European, and it was a very, very nice and potent homotoxicology inflammation treatment. And that was really great. But the problem is the regulatory environment shifted, and so the original formulation of tremil became illegal mm. for whatever reason. So there's kind of a close approximation to tremil now, which is called T-relief. And you can buy it online, and it has uh, a lot of the similar effects to Tremil, Tia's and Tom Relief. And it's it's a human supplement, so there's usually like some red human body on it. Um, but you just follow the same doses as you would for a human being. And that's another way that we can address inflammation in the body. Let's go back to that dosage thing for tea relief. Cause so you said the same as for a body. I mean, obviously. You just follow the human body. You follow regardless of the dog's weight. No. So you make an assumption. You say most humans are about 160 pounds mm. and you can scale up or down. But what's nice about it is you don't have to be very exact. Okay. So you, if you have a 16-pound dog, you would use a tenth of a dose in theory. Like you could use like a quarter. You could use a quarter or a half or something. You don't have to be that exact. Okay. It doesn't matter. But they're, they're super, super safe. Okay. Another way to, to address inflammation is with Wobenzyme, which is an enzyme type of treatment. It has a lot of different enzymes in it, uh, pancreatic enzymes, enzymes from pineapples, things like that. That also is a European strategy, and that's another way of doing it. Wobenzyme N, N as in Nancy. And I talk about this in the book in terms of doses. Right. And we'll put the links to all of these supplements in the show notes for today's episode. So if you don't know how to spell Wobenzyme, you can find it in the show notes. Okay, so that's a European supplement. Yep. Yep. It's an enzymatic. Yep. And I actually, I like Wobenzyme a lot when you have a solid tumor that has like a fibrous coat. So these are going to be like things like connective tissue tumors. So what are connective tissue tumors? Those would be like sarcomas and carcinomas. And those are tumors that tend to have kind of a, a fibrous coat. And it's interesting, these enzymes, they break down tissue. So if you go crazy with your enzymes and you like take them on an empty stomach and use a whole bunch of them and use it for three, four, five months, you could get an erosion in the lining of your stomach. And why is that? Because they break down body tissues. They're digestive enzymes. That's what they do. So however, if you take them with food and at the recommended doses, that effect goes away. But what's interesting is what I think I see, and this is sort of, it's speculative on my part, but I think it happens. There's some mechanism when you're taking Wobenzyme for these connective tissue tumors where there's some softening of the fibrous capsule that seems to happen as a consequence somehow of this enzymatic activity. And why does that matter? Well, when you've got, it's almost like this leathery case around a tumor, which is what you see with sarcomas and carcinomas, you got poor blood flow there and it's difficult to penetrate. 
So it's hard to get things in it. So when you can soften that up a little bit with some enzymatic therapy, you can get a higher delivery of whatever you're using into the tumor. And do I know that this happens for a fact? I do not. I suspect it happens. And I've used that hunch to guide my therapy at times. That is fascinating. You know, I do trust your instincts, Dr. Dressler. Um, My instincts say it's time to pause for a quick break. So let's do that. We'll be right back. And now, a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach. And I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to roll in the grass and warm my belly in the sun. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpuff. The green, grassy, beef liver spike smell wakes my senses. You may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy especially when you wet it. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it. Everpuff, traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. It helps me feel like I'm on top of the world. I'm so glad you're giving it to me every day because every day I'm so glad to be with you. I wouldn't have it any other way. I want my Everpuff. It just makes me feel good. I am so grateful to be your dog and for the Everpup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. If your dog has cancer, you need to get a copy of the best-selling animal health book, The Dog Cancer Survival Guide. Because no matter what you've heard, there are always steps that you can take to help your dog fight and maybe even beat cancer. At nearly 500 pages, this comprehensive guide is your complete reference for practical, evidence-based strategies that can optimize the life quality and longevity of your dog. It's written by two of the most respected names in dog cancer, full-spectrum veterinarian Damian Dressler and veterinary oncologist Susan Ettinger. With the Dog Cancer Survival Guide, you'll learn everything that you need to know about conventional treatments, surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation, including how to reduce their side effects. You'll also discover the most effective non-conventional options, including nutraceuticals and supplements and diet, as well as mind-body medicine. What I love most about this book, which I've used with my own dog, Kanga, when she was diagnosed with cancer, is how to analyze the options and develop a specific plan for your own dog based on your dog's type of cancer and your dog's age, your financial budget, as well as your personality. You can get the Dog Cancer Survival Guide wherever books are sold, but if you get it direct from the publisher, you will save 10% when you use the offer code, especially for listeners of this podcast. Just go to dogcancerbook.com, and when you check out, use the promo code PODCAST, and you will save 10%. The website again, dogcancerbook.com, and use the promo code PODCAST to save 10%. I want to let you know about an important newsletter. It's called Dog Cancer News. 
Now with a name like that, it is not for everyone. But if your dog has cancer, you will want to subscribe. That's because every issue features articles that will be helpful, such as low-carb dog cancer diet recipes, new clinical trials, financial resources to help pay for cancer care, information on supplements, and lots of other helpful info that your veterinarian may not know or have the time to share with you. Also, when you subscribe to Dog Cancer News, you will get a weekly update on the topics covered on this podcast, along with links and resources. So how much does Dog Cancer News cost? Well, today, you can subscribe for free. It's our gift. For a limited time, you can get a full year subscription for free. No strings attached. Just go to this website to sign up for the newsletter now, dogcancernews.com. It takes less than 10 seconds to subscribe, and it is totally free. Do it now at dogcancernews.com. And we are back with Dr. Dressler discussing supplements for dogs with cancer. What's next? Often look at microbiome support. So that's probiotics. So probiotics is such a peculiar subject, you know, honestly. We all have a healthy, in dogs, people, everybody, we have a, a healthy gut bacteria. That means in our intestine, there's all these bacteria that are there. And they help us to digest things and, and they help to manufacture certain vitamins actually that are beneficial for us. That's the very basic approach. And, and if you look at things like cows, you know, if they don't have their microbiome, which is the word for the healthy bacteria, like they will definitely die mm. because they totally require a healthy microbiome for digesting things like grass. Now people and dogs, which are pretty similar in a lot of ways, when the microbiome gets messed up, which happens many, many times when chemotherapy agents are being used, as an example, sometimes when anti-inflammatories are being used, pharmaceuticals generally, sometimes when there's a sudden diet change, mm -hmm. all of these things will impact the environment within the intestine. And the environment within the intestine will change. The pH will change. The composition of the fluids inside the intestine will change. And it'll favor the growth of unhealthy bacteria. And so our bodies are covered in bacteria. And our stomach and our intestine are a surface in the same way that our skin is a surface, even though it's inside of us. So the GI tract, which is the mouth, the esophagus, the stomach, the intestine, and then the rear end, that's a tube. So it's kind of like we have the skin and then it goes in and that's a surface too, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So what happens is that the surface of our bodies, because it has healthy bacteria and also a little bit of unhealthy bacteria there, which is a consequence of living on planet Earth, when the conditions are right, we will get an overgrowth of the unhealthy stuff. And when you get an overgrowth of unhealthy bacteria in your intestine, which is created by antibiotics, pharmaceuticals, sudden diet change, chemotherapy agents, whatever, radiation, the unhealthy bacteria will say, hey, look, the pH has changed, the CO2 has changed, the trace minerals are changed, I'm happy, I'm going to start to grow. And the unhealthy bacteria start to colonize, and then they grow. And then what do you get? Then you get this weird diarrhea that doesn't go away. Like, well, all right, well, I'm done with this drug. I, I didn't feed the food anymore. It's four months and my dog still has diarrhea. What in the world? And that's how you can get years of diarrhea because you gave your dog the wrong biscuit. Mm. That actually can happen because the microbiome changes 
and you get a permanent shift until you address it. So how do you do it? I was going to say, well, how do you address it? Enter probiotics. So that's one of the ways you can do it. So you need to provide the body. You need to, like you have a garden that's full of weeds. Mm-hmm. What do you do? You need to take out the weeds and you need to put in the new healthy plants, the your fruits and vegetables and flowers. So that's called probiotics. You put back in the body the healthy bacteria that it needs. And those healthy bacteria need to colonize. Now, here we have a problem. Because one of the things that people don't realize many times is that the probiotics all by themselves usually only last four, five, six, seven days or something like that, Hmm. all by themselves. So you need to give them prebiotics. So they need to be given food. So if you were to put some seeds out on a, a road that has a half an inch of dirt, those seeds will grow a little bit and then they will not grow. So you need to give soil and you need to give food and sun and water. So you need to fertilize your probiotics. And how do you do that? You give them probiotic food. That's called prebiotics. And so in the products that have probiotics plus prebiotics are called symbiotics. So that means you've got your probiotics combined with your food for your probiotics. That's called a symbiotic. S-Y-N? Right. Okay. So S-Y-N, biotic. So I use like, you know, ProViable or Fortiflor or something like that. And, um, those are nice because they have like these long chain carbohydrate molecules that are not digested by the animal, by the way. They're not digested by the animal. We can't digest them, but the bacteria can digest them. It's feeding the probiotics. Feeding the probiotics, yeah. So you do this for a while, and then if you've got a bacterial overgrowth, you need to do some metronidazole or something that you get from the vet often to get rid of the bad bacteria because you got to pull out the weeds. So you replant, but you got to pull out the weeds. And so you're saying an antibiotic like metronidazole is what pulls out the weeds. Actually, it's a very particular type of antibiotic that does not promote bacterial overgrowth. And a lot of times we'll actually use metronidazole. We'll send it home with people who are starting a cancer therapy plan or program because occasionally something will upset the tummy. And that can happen with anything. Like some dogs, if you give them new dog food, they'll develop diarrhea plus or minus blood. Mm-hmm. And then in rare cases, those dogs will end up in the hospital. It's like, I just changed my dog's food. What in the world? How did this happen? And you can get hemorrhagic gastroenteritis as a consequence. And that in a little dog, that can be life-threatening. You know, it's, it's crazy. It's like, how did that happen? Well, it's a bacterial overgrowth thing. That's how it happens. It's just crazy. This is what I appreciate about you and how you combine supplements and pharmaceuticals together in your full-spectrum approach. Let's go back to the hierarchy. What else? So at this stage in the game, those are the core areas. And then so beyond that, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that one could do, but it's kind of like a case by case. So for example, a lot of times we will use a liver slash kidney support simply because like, say say the dog's going to be going to chemotherapy as an example, or say there's pharmaceuticals that have liver or kidney side effects. Okay, so those dogs are going to get a milk thistle derivative. Now, I put that in apocaps also. Like apocaps has silymarin in it. One of the constituents in apocaps is silymarin, which is from milk thistle. Um, but say we want more. Say the dog's in danger, you know, or say we're using a big gun uh, therapeutic. Then we'll use denimarin as an example. And denimarin has in it really high doses of pharmaceutical-grade milk thistle extract. And so that can help that can help the liver. And as a matter of fact, it's, it's not very well known, but psilomarin, which is the constituent that we're talking about from the milk thistle, also has mild anti-cancer effects. People don't know about that. 
And it also has kidney protective effects. People don't know about that either. It's pretty interesting. So I'll use, I'll use a lot of denimerin, as a matter of fact. So this bucket, I guess you could call it side effect mitigation. That's a little check mark in my box. So if we're using, okay, we're using drugs that are going to be potentially harmful, how can we offset the side effects that are potentially harmful without interfering with the effects of the therapy? See, that's a big thing. Like you can do things to decrease toxicity and decrease therapeutic benefit. So you can you squash the toxic effect and you squash the beneficial effect. <laughs> you can do that. <laughs> right. So it's a balancing act. It's a balance. You got to know what to pick. You know, so what's another one that's really big? So bone marrow suppression, right? You see that really commonly with chemo drugs. And so how do I deal with that? Cordyceps mushroom. So cordyceps is one of the constituents in canine immunity, which is probably my go-to for my mushrooms. But I'll use extra cordyceps. And cordyceps is a, called a caterpillar fungus. And what's interesting about that one is that it protects the bone marrow against the, the toxic effects of chemotherapy drugs as well as radiation uh, in some cases. And it also has uh, some kidney protective effects and uh, lung also, some lung effects, some pulmonary effects. And so, but if we're using, again, remember I said that these supplements do not have just one effect. Mm -hmm. So if you're using like the mushroom blend from Aloha Medicinals, and by the way, I have no vested interest actually in any of this stuff. Like I've got no financial interest in anything. Right. You formulated Apocaps, and you were a co-founder in the company, but you don't own the company anymore. So your recommendations are from your own experience. Yeah. This is just what I know from experience. So like the Aloha Medicinals product has a combination of different mushrooms in it. So you have a combination of effects. Each one of those mushrooms has multiple effects. Mm -hmm. And there's also some chemosensitizing effects also in those mushrooms, by the way. So there's a lot of overlap in this discussion, which makes me jump back and forth. But <laughs> when it comes to, um, to side effect mitigation, cordyceps, as well as some of the mushrooms that are in the canine immunity product that I bring up in the context of immunity, happen to mitigate side effects from chemotherapy and radiation as well, without interfering with the therapeutic benefit. Okay. Well, speaking of side effects. Let's take a short break and then let's talk about supplements that can cause their own side effects. We'll be right back. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we are back with Dr. Damien Dressler. Let's talk about some of the supplements that you exclude and specifically don't use that other people use that are popular in the realm of dog cancer. Yeah, it's, 
you know, gosh, there's so much to think about over here. Like when you think of all of the possible supplements that are out there, there's a lot. And it changes over time too, kind of like what's in vogue. Nobody talks about noni juice anymore, <laughs> right? That was popular. Or avocado toast is going away too. Yeah. It is, you know, but 10 years ago, noni healed everything. Right. But what you notice over time is the things that tend to stick around are the things that tend to work better. And the things that don't tend to stick around more of the time, those are the things that tend to not work very well. At least that's my experience. Okay. So what are some things you don't like? Right. Okay. So I think one of the most major misconceptions that's going on even today, and what's interesting is over time, I've actually seen this getting less and less. And I think a lot of it has to do with the information that we've been putting out, mm-hmm. the antioxidant discussion. Mm-hmm. So when we started this 15, 20 years ago, or whatever, people thought, okay, well, if I give antioxidants, that's good for cancer. So I'm going to give a lot of antioxidants in my cancer patient. And what that has turned out to be is patently false. Like that's just false. The reason for that is because the, if you see benefit, it's usually not the quite the antioxidant effect that's creating the benefit. Not most of the time. And there are certain cases where if you give antioxidants, the cancer is actually worsened. So as a cookie cutter kind of boilerplate recommendation across the board for all cancers, the use of antioxidants is problematic. And then for someone who's just sort of tuning into this, an antioxidant very commonly used is something that like people want to take to support a normal body. So what are some examples of antioxidants that like you would not recommend for cancer dogs? Oh, well, like people will say like, I'll give a bunch of vitamin C, Okay, you know, so by mouth. And by the way, we're talking about the levels that you would take in a pill give by mouth. Mm -hmm. That's very different from, say, extremely high doses given intravenously. That's different because there's different effects at different doses. Mm -hmm. And people are starting to catch on to this too slowly. You give vitamin C at different doses, the effects on the body are entirely different. As a matter of fact, if you go low-dose vitamin C and then you go into high-dose vitamin C intravenous, you go from antioxidant effects to pro-oxidant effects the opposite so like a pro-oxidant destroys cells right yeah yeah so let's look at what is oxidation of a cell yeah yeah what does it actually mean so oxidation is burning that's what it means so when a, when you see a piece of wood and it's on fire it's a reaction with oxygen and it's releasing heat and so our bodies work through oxidation that's why we're, we're warm so that's you know we're warm like a fire mm-hmm. that's oxidation so that's how we get our energy is we take oxygen that we breathe in, in the air and the oxygen reacts with um, our stored fuel cells, like our fats and stuff like that, and our carbohydrates and protein, and it will combust. So it's internal combustion. So we actually ride an internal combustion engine, oddly enough. It'll be interesting if we start to run on, on solar, <laughs> but that's a different discussion. So A lot of vitamin D. Mm-hmm. That's a whole different thing. That's a different one. Um, the process of oxidation in a fire, it creates smoke. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the body, it creates free radicals. And so that's like the smoke. So if you inhale your campfire smoke, it makes you cough. It's not good. So in your body, the free radicals also are not good. Those are damaging. Free radicals are very reactive molecules. And so it's you know, let's like why if you smoke cigarettes over long periods of time, you'll get more cancer. And if you blow it in around your doggies, especially if they have long muscles, those dogs will tend to get nasal cancers, mm. it's like from sidestream smoke. 
or particulates or whatever. But so the oxidation thing is creating free radicals. Free radicals are harmful and they injure body tissues. They're very reactive. I say, when I say reactive, what I'm talking about is that you can imagine it a little bit like, this is extreme, but if you pour some acid on the top of a table, it reacts in that way. That's a reaction. And so the table will have a, a mark on it. So that's called a reactive molecule. So free radicals do that microscopically. You don't see it, but it's very small amounts. But each one does a little bit, and over time, the effect adds up. That's damaging, right? Okay. Now, there's a lot of confusion because the thought was that if we do antioxidants, we will minimize the development of cancer. And therefore, if we give more antioxidants, we will minimize the effects of cancer more. But it actually turns out that that's not true. Because if you increase the doses of these things, the effects on the body are completely different. Now, one of the problems that you see that people did not anticipate who are not like in this space, one of the ways that the vast majority of chemo drugs work and also radiation therapies are through pro-oxidant mechanisms. And this gets confusing. But suffice it to say that we get a pro-oxidant effect, which means more of these free radicals accumulating in cancer cells than we do in normal body cells. And the cancer cells get very unhappy and they die. That's kind of the effect of radiation and chemotherapy, basically. So when we give antioxidants, we're... <laughs> you're negating what you're doing. We're negating it. Yeah, really, really. And then similarly, when you start to increase your dosing of your antioxidants, by the way, you're flipping the mechanism in the body and the high dose antioxidants are actually pro-oxidant, which is why like you really don't want to take really high doses of antioxidant vitamins unless you know what you're doing because you're going to be shifting the effects to a pro-oxidant state, meaning that you'll be contributing to the free radical burden, the very thing that you're trying to quench. Mm. So the whole antioxidant discussion in spite of the fact that people would like it to be a lot more simple and easy in real life it's not and that's actually a problem because like when we're dealing with especially when we're feeling anxiety like when you do when you just got told your dog has cancer mm -hmm. the brain does not do well with complexity mm -hmm. at all or nuance it's terrible you can't think right that's physiologic because you're in shock. Right. That happens to everybody. And it's if this has happened to you, you know what I'm talking about. I'm sure everyone who is listening to this has had it happening, including both of us. Yeah. So what the brain fog does is it puts the brain in something called heuristic thinking, which is the brain starts to think in very, very, very simple terms because we've reverted back into our brainstem. And so we start to think like a snake mm -hmm. or something, like an old brain. The reptilian mind. Yeah we do fight or we do flight or we could do sleep or something. So that's how we go. And the problem is when you're dealing with cancer and when you're dealing with things like, should I use antioxidants? The way the physiology of the brain is, is it craves simplicity because that's old brain and that's where we're put when we're facing stress. So when we deal with things like these questions, the experience is hugely irritating because how the hell am I going to wrap my brain around this when my brain is having a hard time processing any damn thing? 
Like I can barely find my way home when my brain is like this. So, so what do you do? Again, I'm going off on a tangent, but I think it'll be, I think it's to be helpful. You circle back, take your time, integrate this cancer thing, then go back for your information gathering later. And we talk about this in the book, like you got to guard the guardian, like, what do you do? So there's anxiety relieving practices. There's things that you can do to try to just get yourself under control to put your oxygen mask on first, get yourself composed, then come back later when there's a little bit more clarity, bring a pen and a pencil and get information. And then you start to work on the plan because it's not an immediate death sentence. It's not a, you have some time. Yeah. So that's the side note, but I think that that's worth mentioning in the context of complicated discussions like antioxidants. So the short story is the blanket use of potent antioxidant therapies is a total mistake and many times will interfere with what is being done. And many times one can create the very thing that you are unwittingly attempting to alleviate okay other than antioxidants what are some other things that you exclude because there's a glossary in the back of the dog cancer survival guide where you exclude certain supplements right so one of the things i think that's worth mentioning here is um when you're looking at supplements we need to understand that there's so much difference between a high priority supplement and one that's lower priority Hmm. So if you have a dog cancer survival guide and you go back to, you go on page 413 and you see, oh, look, there's a excluded supplement list. You'll see that a lot of those things I mark as low priority supplement. It's not that they're like evil mm-hmm. and it's not that they're going to hurt the dog. It's just that the weight of evidence is weak mm. or that there's merit in a test tube or a petri dish but we don't have evidence yet in laboratory animals or in living bodies or that yeah sure there's an effect at a given dose that you use in the rats but guess what if you were to try to give that dose to your dog you would need to give the dog 15 pounds of this like it were Mm -hmm. because a lot of studies are like that And then what's the result of the study? Oh, Siberian ginseng will cure prostate cancer. Wrong. It had effects at extremely high doses. In an in vitro study, usually. Well, it can be in vivo, too, like in rodents and primates. Okay. But you're giving it so much of... You're giving so much, so much. And a lot of times they'll inject it in the belly and stuff, Mm. you know, and they're not even taking it by mouth. And so in order to sort of unpack this you have to like go and you have to read the study and you need to have a sense of like well what's micromolar mean you know how many milligrams per kilogram and how does that translate like into physiologic doses for a 60 pound dog like you need to have a background in that stuff because if you don't when you'll, you'll just go look at the study and it'll say hey look i got this paper over here that siberian ginseng can cure prostate give me siberian ginseng and it's just you don't get it. You didn't understand it. So if you were to take 10 pounds of Siberian ginseng and inject it into your abdomen like they did on that rat every day for a month, yeah, it will. So anyway, so it's things like that. Those are the things that I paid attention to in this low priority supplement category. Doses, living bodies versus test tubes and petri dishes, injections versus oral 
Because how many people are going to go home and give their dog injections? Not a lot. You can do it. But- right. And you focus so much about quality of life. And obviously, giving your dog an injection at home on a regular basis does not increase the quality of life for either of you. If you're using like a little, like say diabetes as an example, like there's an exception, like the needle is, oh, you can't see the picture, but the needle, you know, it's a half inch needle, right? I mean, it's, it's so small, mm-hmm. you know, and if you get good at the shots, like the dog isn't going to really feel it at all. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so that's an exception, but these are like ridiculous. This is a completely different subject. And the amounts that we're talking about are not, you know, 0.06 cc's, like they're way bigger. So this is where people get led astray. Because you can find evidence and you can find the publications and all that. And unless you're you're actually familiar with the terminology and the methodology and stuff, you can make inferences that are just wrong by being a headline reader on PubMed. <laughs> so here's an example. Say coenzyme Q10, right? So I'll use coenzyme Q10. I'll use coenzyme Q10 in dogs that have pre-existing cardiac disease that need to have doxorubicin treatment. And that's the direction that this thing is going. I'll use it. And why is that? Well, because it does protect the, the heart muscle from the toxic effects of doxorubicin somewhat. And guess what? It also might decrease some of the effects of doxorubicin. But whatever. Well, I don't want to kill the dog. So I'll, that's a sacrifice that I'll make, you know, and I'll use it. But people will show up and they'll say, like, I'm using CoQ10 because it's a good antioxidant. Well, wait a minute. Do you know what you're doing? And also, by the way, there's another subject is bioavailability. Like, some of these things, particularly these low priority supplements, mm-hmm. they're not bioavailable. Mm. So what does bioavailable mean? Generally, it means if you take something by mouth in a pill, capsule, or liquid, it gets into your blood and it gets to your target after that. It's got to get there. As it turns out, not everything will do that, right? So if you <laughs> if you ever feed your dog like some corn or some carrots or something, you may notice that <laughs> those come out the other end. Not terribly bioavailable. You can see it in the poop. Right. Comes right out. It's not bioavailable for the dog. So the same thing is true with the supplements. Why am I bringing this up? Because CoQ10 all by itself, unless it's been engineered and worked on, has bioavailability issues. So you take it and it goes out in the poop and you've got expensive poop. Okay. Another thing that people need to pay attention to. And so that's why CoQ10 I put as a low priority supplement as an example. But then there's some other supplements that you exclude that are popular, like green tea, EGCG, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So EGCG is the active anti-cancer fighting ingredient that you find in green tea. Epigallocatechin gallate is what it's called. And it has anti-cancer effects. And I think those are mild and I think they're real. Mm-hmm. And there's probably more work to be done with EGCG somewhere. There's merit. The problem with it is that the bioavailability is not good. That's the first thing. So it's hard to get it in the body. Now, I was working with EGCG about 20 years ago, and I was tinkering with ways of getting it in the body. And there was this one dog where it got liver injury because it was a pro-oxidant episode where I was combining ECGC with a couple of other things. And it gave me the Mm heebie-jeebies. So I just stopped because... The beneficial effects of EGCG can be achieved in using other bioflavonoids, and I didn't see the liver effect. Hmm. So I just changed courses when that happened. And the other thing about EGCG, particularly in the context of green tea supplements, is you've got methylxanthines, which is, you know, stimulants. So green tea, a lot of times, will have stimulants in it. And that's not something that I think you're going to want to be using most of the time for most of these dogs, because when you load dogs up on stimulants, particularly if you're giving something at night, 
it's not healthy. It screws up their circadian rhythms, and some dogs will get aggressive with stimulants. So that's something to be aware of with green tea supplements, by the way. So another one was like, here's a traditional one, Essiac, right? Essiac tea. If you look at the constituents of Essiac and you go do some research, there's a constituent in there that actually stimulated the growth of breast cancer cells, right? So I'm like, well, hmm, I don't like that very much. So I don't use that. I don't use Essiac for that reason. Um, am I saying that it causes breast cancer in every dog that's been on Essiac tea? No, but because I deal with large numbers of dogs, there are probably going to be examples of things that go south, even if they occur 1% of the time, and I get to deal with those things that go south. And for me, it's 100%. For that particular dog, it's 100%. For that particular guardian, it's 100%. It doesn't matter that it happens 1%. So I need to try to minimize risk. I have to mitigate the risk. Okay. Now there's so many like popular blends that have developed over the years when you like Google dog cancer supplements. And there's one that is like, it's a liquid has drops and it's sort of a, a blend of astragalus root and thistle aerial parts and sheep sorrel and things like that. What do you think of, well, of something like that? I think maybe the, if I could reframe the question a little bit, sure. I think maybe the question has to do with combination supplements that seem to have good things in them. Mm-hmm. Is that the idea? Yes. Well, I mean, I think there's some that are just really going and saying, if your dog has cancer, this is what you need. And it's just this you know, $35 bottle of drops and you put it in, but it has supplements in it that you haven't spoken about, like mm-hmm. astragalus and blessed thistle and sheep sorrel. Yeah. Yeah. So those are, those are old. When you're dealing with whole herb extract, which is what you're talking about, Mm -hmm. the reason why I don't jump into that and the reason why there are cases when you use like whole herb extracts, but the majority of the time, because of the fact that those are going to be promoting antioxidant effects on the body and because one of the biggest ways that we can clear cancer cells currently from the body is by increasing their pro-oxidant effects in cancer cells to cause those cancer cells to commit suicide. That's by far, at this moment in time, the clinical mechanism that almost everybody is now using to address cancer mm-hmm. commonly. Now, there's all these different you know, areas, and the, the next most interesting area is going to be cancer vaccines, for sure, and probably low-dose naltrexone. But that's the basic reason why I'm not jumping on these herbal extracts. For one, we have effects that can interfere with the effects of the other therapies that we're doing, including things like apocaps, by the way. Number two, it's harder to control what you're doing. So here's a great example. So my daughter had an allergic reaction to mango. To mango. Yeah, mango. Her rear end got all horrible blisters in her in her lips and her face mm-hmm. after she ate a mango. I fed her a mango. I found a mango on a tree outside. I was like, oh, great. Look at this. <laughs> and so I gave her some mango and didn't work out well. But now subsequently, she was fed mango. Guess what? Nothing happened. Why? I bet I know. It has to do with something in the sap, right? Well, it's a sap. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a piece of it. The other thing is... All mangoes are not created equal. Uh-huh. Mangoes are different, you know. So you can be sensitive to one thing. It's like nuts. It's like I'm allergic to nuts. Well, are you allergic to chestnuts? <laughs> so they're different. They're different, and the language is different. You need to pay attention. Like, what are we talking about? So when we're talking about like 
herbal extract. The problem is that if I take an extract of a given plant, it's not the same as an extract of the exact same plant grown under different circumstances. They are different. And you're seeing this a lot, you know, in the cannabis industry right now. These plants are like basically reservoirs of the fertilizers. And that's how people are playing around with with the effects. Fertilizers. And also, how are they grown? Are they grown hydroponically? Are they grown in soil? And what's the composition? So plants are very much impacted by their conditions. Extremely so. It's not trivial. It's like real. And that's how you can have like nutrient-rich plants and nutrient-poor like fruits and vegetables. You can have an apple that's very nutrient-rich and you can have an apple that's very nutrient-poor and they're both red delicious apples. Yet they do completely different things in the body. So you get it where I'm getting at with this herbal extract thing. Mm-hmm. It's not the same. You don't know. That's the whole problem with it. And that's why you focus on constituent ingredients and extracting the phytochemicals. Yeah, I straddle the line between like being a, an herbologist <laughs> and being a pharmacist. Because if you're trying to give something in a plant, you need to know that it's in there. And it may not always be in there. It depends on what we're talking about, but it may not always be there. So that's one of the reasons why I don't really subscribe to like somebody who's doing this hodgepodge of this and that, and they're putting it together and it sounds nice. And okay, you know, it might do some good, but I don't trust it. And in my position, I have to be, I have to really trust what I'm doing because the outcomes are so critical and the timing of these things is so critical. I can't play around. Like, I don't have a month to try out the tincture to see, does the tincture have in it what I needed? Because I don't know. And so every time it's like an experiment, more or less. Well, that's what we rely on. And that's really what the Dog Cancer Survival Guide does. It distills all this information in your very fascinating brain, Dr. Dressler. Thank you so much for being with us. We're definitely going to have to do a future episode on the low-dose naltrexin. That sounds like something that you're interested in. We'll do that. Dr. Dressler, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. And thank you, listener, for being here today. Please check the show notes in your podcast app or on our website, dogcanceranswers.com, for a list of the supplements discussed today. And please don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter, which is called Dog Cancer News. You can find that at dogcancernews.com. If you have a dog with cancer or recently lost a dog to cancer, you might find comfort in our private Facebook support group, which you can find online at dogcancersupport.com. All the links again are in the show notes for today's episode. That is it for today. It's a long one, but I thank you for getting to this place. Hopefully this has been helpful. We are always available to talk with you. Just visit us on our website at dogcanceranswers.com. From all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I'm James Jacobson. Thank you for listening today. And we wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. Thank you for listening to Dog Cancer Answers. If you'd like to connect, please visit our website at dogcanceranswers.com or call our listener line at 808-868-3200. 
And here's a friendly reminder that you probably already know. This podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not meant to take the place of the advice you receive from your dog's veterinarian. Only veterinarians who examine your dog can give you veterinary advice or diagnose your dog's medical condition. Your reliance on the information you hear on this podcast is solely at your own risk. If your dog has a specific health problem, contact your veterinarian. Also, please keep in mind that veterinary information can change rapidly. Therefore, some information may be out of date. Dog Cancer Answers is a presentation of Maui Media in association with Dog Podcast Network. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.